four of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I believe Jesus is very strategic in calling fishermen as his disciples. Not only did they know the lay of the land around the sea, but they knew the sea of Galilee. They knew the water. They knew how storms could come up suddenly. This was strategic. And much of Jesus' ministry required travel by water, where they would go across the sea from one side to the other, ministering to people. You study the life of Jesus and his ministry. You remember he referred to the story of Jonah and the great fish. He ate fish with his disciples on at least two occasions after the resurrection. And there are five recorded miracles in the New Testament that involve fish. So it's no surprise that Jesus referred to commercial fishing in the parable of the net, which is the seventh parable we're studying and final one here in our Kingdom Parables series. These are parables where Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. Listen as I read this parable for us this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. Once again, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age, Jesus said. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake which caught all kinds of fish. I want to unpack this here just a bit this morning. If you think about the type of fish in the Sea of Galilee, well, it would be a, a plethora of them, all kinds. One, according to one resource, there were at least 18 to 24 different species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. So when they put their nets down, they could bring in all different kinds. Among, among them were a few that they really liked. The most popular was the mushed fish. It kind of reminds me of a bluegill that Isabella and I will catch when we go fishing in the pond in our neighborhood. These mushed fish were flat, and when they were clean, they fried up really well. One of the fish in this in this group, the mush group, is the tilapia, which many of you have probably enjoyed as we do it at our house. Fishermen also caught a longer, narrow fish called the biny fish, which was something they enjoyed during feast times and festivals. And then there were the schools of sardine-like fish, the little small ones, and there were a whole bunch of them grouped together in schools, and they would catch those too. But once they pulled in their nets, they had to sort through them because Jewish law prohibited eating certain kinds of fish. They were not allowed to eat fish without fins and scales. 
so they had to go through and separate them. The ones they couldn't eat were catfish, eels, rays, and so on. Maybe some of you have caught such creatures. When we were at the beach down in North Carolina over spring break, we were out on the pier and a fisherman caught a, a stingray. And it was interesting to watch him, him to try to get that off the hook. If stingray or eel or catfish was in the, the fisherman's net back then, they had to throw them back. The book of Leviticus in chapter 9 says this, Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat those that have fins and scales. Anything in the living water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded unclean by you. So this helps us to frame out what's going on in this parable, the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach, starting with a very basic trade of commercial fishermen and then moving out to make a kingdom illustration. Now, sometimes fishermen use poles and hooks. More often, they use nets like cast nets. Often, they went out in the boat and they would cast the net. And it was a smaller type net, and they would pull in their catch and then empty it out and separate the good fish from the bad. Peter, Andrew, James, and John would have been very familiar with all these types of fishing. The other method used was a drag net or a seine net. These could be drawn out between the shore or between boats. The illustration on your screen is one that would be between two boats, and they would go out in the water, and they would circle. After dropping the nets, they would circle around, and the two boats would meet, and then they would begin to pull the nets into the shore. And I think I have a, a slide that shows you the two ships or the two fishing boats as they will come together. Another way they used drag nets was one fishing boat out in the water that would drop the net and then it would be held on shore by other fishermen. And then the boat would come close to shore where the fishermen were and then they would draw the net toward the shore and then drag the net full of fish up on the beach. And then, as Jesus said in the parable, they would sit down and they would begin to go through and sort out the good fish from the bad. So Jesus, talking about this, would have connected with all the disciples. They would have all been familiar with fishing, but especially with the four who were known as fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. By the way, the audience here, when Jesus is telling this parable, is only the disciples. So he would have made a real connection with them. I'm sure that they nodded their heads in agreement. Yep, that's exactly what happens, Jesus. King James says that they would separate the good fish and put them in vessels. It's like a container. The receptacle that Ma Pastor Matthew used in the children's message was a container to collect candy in as the children go around at Halloween. So imagine the vessel. Uh, another or translation in the New International, it says baskets. Often they were used. The message by Eugene Peterson, he says they put them in tubs. So you can imagine a, a big tub-like bucket. 
the Outer Banks translation says that the fishermen put the good fish in their Yeti cooler and threw the inedible ones back and drove their F-150 four-wheel drive off the beach with their fish. Now back to Galilee. Jesus had the disciples exactly where he wanted them. The kingdom of heaven was like a great catch of all kinds of fish. And don't we hope that all kinds of fish come? That's our calling. We want all people to respond to the gospel. And I believe this is the message that Jesus is telling us. All kinds of people. Often, though, myself included, over the years, I tend to want only fish that look kind of like me and that have my background and speak my language that dress like me, that think like I do. And sadly, maybe you're like this, I have unfairly judged people and say, well, maybe you're not just like us. And I'm sorry that I've had that kind of attitude in my life in the past. There's a lot of work to be done in our world today to help people love one another no matter what their background, walk of life, appearance, dress, language, and so forth. So there is a lesson here for the church. This is more than a fishing story. There were eternal implications to the story and to the people whom Matthew was writing at his time when he was writing to his churches. I believe Jesus is saying that the parable communicates a time of judgment. You can't read this parable and not see that. There will be a separation. And the Jews long believed that there would be a judgment, there would be a Messiah who would come and reckon and judge. But Jesus is saying in this parable, that time will happen for everyone. We read the same kind of separation and judgment in the parable of the weeds and the wheat that we studied earlier in our series, where the wheat and the weeds grew together. The farmer said, leave them there, and at the end they will be separated, and the weeds will be burned in the fire. Jesus also spoke that there would be a narrow road and a wide road. He spoke of separation of sheep and goats, branches of the grapevine that were not useful and would be pruned and thrown away and burned up, a winnowing, a thinning, a sifting. We cannot read the Gospels without reading about judgment. Note that Jesus said that after the nets were dropped down and brought up to the shore that the fishermen would sit down and go through the fish and separate the good from the bad. Literally taken, this is a separation of the edible fish and the unclean fish or the rotten fish that they did not want. But at the last day, when Jesus is talking about the end of the age, he is saying that the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, just as the fishermen would sit down and go through and separate, so too the God as judge would sit down at his throne and judge all people. 
If you read Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus says that the Son of Man would come in all his glory and sit on the throne and would separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This leads up to the passage we are all familiar with where Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, my sisters and brothers, you did for me. Even us Christians are held accountable at a time of judgment. The parable is clear. God's angels would do the judging, and I think this is important for us to hear. The church wasn't the judge. Christians weren't to be the judge. In this parable, it says the angels were the judge. We understand the angels of God. We will all come before the throne of grace. The book of life will be opened. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says we will be all be held accountable before God. Lots of Christians will be standing there when the book of life is opened and God will judge. Sadly, many Christians open their own book of life and judge each other and people in the world. And that's a lesson for me and for all of us is to let God be the judge. That's an important part of this parable. God is the one who judges us. And I believe with all my heart that the love of God is bent towards justice, reconciliation, and salvation by grace. God's love is not bent towards judgment as I read the Gospels. How do I know this? Because there's a cross at Calvary on whom the Lamb was slain for the sins of the world. God's love is bent towards justice, mercy, reconciliation, salvation. That's a change from the God we read of in the Old Testament. When Jesus came, God came and dwelled with us and made himself nothing and died on the cross that we might be forgiven of sin and have everlasting life, even if it's the 11th hour. The question is, and over the course of my life, why am I judgmental at times? Why have I been judgmental of others in the past? I think that, or at least one reason for me, is I don't want the focus on me. I want to take the attention off myself and cast it on someone else. We are all sinners. We are always looking for someone else to blame. That's what happened in the garden. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And we've been doing that ever since. But when God came as Christ Jesus, everything changed. God covered our shame and sin by the blood of Jesus. He is our atoning sacrifice. Atonement means to make us right with God, to be at one with God. He is our atoning sacrifice. We are brought to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he alone is judge of all with a bent towards salvation. Today's parable, divine judgment is not presented as only a far off future phenomenon, an end times kind of event. Rather, the sorting and sifting has begun. If you look at the life of the disciples who 
understood and at most of the time followed Jesus and bring forth fruit, they are separated from those who don't. Throughout the Gospels, the disciples were separated from scribes and Pharisees who actively opposed them. They were split from family and hometown friends who rejected them. They were set apart from the neutral crowds who only hear without acting. One commentator writes this, The final divine sorting described in the parables is happening all along the way. As Jesus speaks and as people respond or fail to do so, in the sifting done by Jesus as judge, we are good fish only if we respond to his word today and become a new community, the family of God. And there is hope for us. Even as we stand before God as our judge, at this moment in time, we acknowledge that we are all sinners. Paul writes in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. None of us is perfect. Even we who are Christians, every day we have the nature to sin and fall short of his glory, his expectations. The good news is that divine justice is geared more towards salvation than judgment. In Christ there is salvation, but there is no condemnation. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In John 3, 17. And Paul, again, in Romans 8, 1 writes, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that. Judgment itself is designed, I believe, by God to open our eyes to the real consequences and real actions in this world and to help us live in such a way that is in line with the will of God. In short, divine justice or judgment is designed to help us, not to hurt us. If we know that we are judged, if I know that I'm going to be judged, then that knowledge can steer me toward salvation in this life and in the next. By taking the words of Jesus as our divine judge seriously, we can be saved from the choices that are destructive to ourselves and others. The other day, Melanie and I went out to Chinese. We enjoy Peking Restaurant here in Midlothian. Some of you like that as well. And I brought my fortune cookie fortune with me today. When I read it, I thought, this applies to Sunday's sermon. Listen to it. Think about your own mistakes rather than blame on others' faults. <laughs> Think about your own mistakes rather than blame others' faults. felt that God was speaking right to me through the, that little fortune cookie paper. Maybe that speaks to you too. One of the takeaways for me in this parable is that I am not to sit in judgment of other people, no matter what. That's Jesus' work. My job, our job, is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves and leave the judging to God.
Jesus said, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and run over, will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then a few verses later, I don't have slides for this, but in Luke 6, that, uh, verses 41 and 42, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I like to say the two by four in my eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Jesus says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The story is told of a group of the very pious Christians waiting in heaven for the judgment. They were all there talking to one another, telling stories. And then they started to complain because it was taking so long. You know, kind of like some church folk after worship is over go to the restaurant and they start to complain when the line gets too long. So they were standing there complaining and then they began to see, quote, sinners coming into the waiting area, a corrupt politician, a woman that was arrested numerous times for shoplifting, a prostitute, a drug addict, a man who spent most of his life incarcerated. And with each of these arrivals, the pious group started to get angry, talking amongst themselves. Within a short time, they started speaking to those who had just arrived. What makes you think you're going to get in with the evil, sinful lives you have lived on earth? And they replied, we are relying on the grace and mercy of the Lord. And then they said to the pious, what makes you so sure you're going to get in? Our good lives, of course. And then the pious turned their back on the others and began to talk amongst themselves. Well, time began to drag on for the first group, and they continued to complain and said, if these people get in, then there is no justice. After all the sacrifices we've made, this is not fair. Finally, the Lord arrived, and he turned toward this pious group and said, I understand you've been wondering why there's no judgment. Yes, they cried out. We want judgment. We want justice. And then the Lord said to them, the judgment has already taken place. You've judged yourselves by judging these, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have judged yourselves by the measure you used has been used against you. In rejecting them, you have rejected me, said the Lord. You have shown yourselves unworthy of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it. Unto me. 
May we live in this world reflecting the love and the light of Jesus Christ. His grace, his mercy, his salvation. That others would see Jesus in us. And may we leave the judging to the Lord. Let us pray.